I, uh, so last night, my wife and I, um, my wife and I went out to the uh, Williams farm because they had a big 4th of July thing, and it was awesome. Um, and, and as a part of that, um, they, they did some trap shooting, right? And so you, I mean, y'all are maybe familiar with this concept. You, you throw a disc in the air and you shoot at it with a gun and then you miss a bunch of times and you blame the choke or, <laughs> I, I don't know what you're talking about, John. <laughs> um, but as a part of this, for about six months now, I've been trying to, trying to set aside time to teach my wife how to load and fire the shotgun. Right. And, and so this was a, a planned effort. And, and I, I said, well, you know, we, we got somebody to watch our, our child. And we, we went over and I, I was I was talking my wife through the, through the process of putting shotgun shells in. And and there was a an understandable misunderstanding that, that resulted in some agitation. Um, well, yeah, I, I, I maybe. Um and I, I had this moment of realization as we began to, like, like settle into an argument. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, where you, you see the argument coming, and you know it's about to happen. And I realized I had just taught my wife how to put shotgun shells in the gun, <laughs> and that she was pointing it. <laughs> Not at me yet, <laughs> but it was loaded. And, and that, was, that was the point in time. Actually, I hadn't taught her how to chamber the round yet, and so I was relatively safe. Um, <laughs> But, but, you know, you can't outrun those things. Um, though when I finally saw her shoot, I think I was relatively safe. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm a terrible shot. I, so, so um, I, I, the whole time, like as soon as we kind of, and I stopped and hit pause and calmed down. I, I just, you know, the line, what is the line? In our society is a polite society, right? Like, we, we tend to be a lot more polite when anybody might shoot you. Uh, and and, and um, it, it jumped out at me because we're, we're looking at Nehemiah 5 today, and um, there, there's a big chunk of this that focuses on anger. And, and I, it's a topic of conversation I, I've kind of explored with a few people in the last few days. And I, I thought it was worth um, kind of examining it a little more in depth as Nehemiah presents it to us. So as we're going into it, here's the background. Nehemiah takes place right like on the edge of like the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, right? Um, the Jewish people had made God very angry. They'd been dragged off to another country where they lived as captives for 70 years. And they had just come home to their homeland. And when they got there... The place was trashed. Um, it was like little kids, you know, toddlers had been left in charge for a few hours. Um, and the walls were destroyed and the, you know, the, the temple was gone. And, and Nehemiah and Ezra kind of focuses on the rebuilding effort. Nehemiah specifically is rebuilding the walls. Um, thus far, we see where Nehemiah prays over and over again and God provides. Um, in the last chapter, we looked at um, Nehemiah being attacked from the outside, Right. And, and what had happened was um, the enemies of God's people who didn't want walls to be there and realized that they could not come in and just knock the walls down or kill the people who were trying to build the walls or they were powerless, they began to make fun of 
the Jewish people. They mocked him and they, they started rumors and they said, oh, well, we're going to come kill all of you anyway. And, oh, look, your wall is a worthless thing like a, a, little, a little fox could knock it over. You're not going to stop our army. And, and they were trying to discourage God's people, right? And, and Nehemiah responded by praying and by sending his people to work again. And, and when it became like apparent that there might be a fight, he began arming the people and preparing for a fight, but he just kept building like he did his job. And the big idea that we looked at with that was our job, right, as believers, when the world turns on us is we look to God and we do our jobs, which is making disciples and being, being his people in this world, right? Like sharing the gospel, um, teaching people to grow in their faith, like that is our job. As we jump into the next chapter, Nehemiah encounters his next obstacle. Um, being that it is a large religious group, like one might call it a church, the obstacle, of course, is fighting within. <laughs> and so, like, as we jump into this chapter 5, if you've got a Bible, you can follow along. It's not on the screen today. Just a warning, there's no clock in the back. And I usually watch the clock. I, <laughs> I can't see it. <laughs> um... Just heads up. <laughs> Who knows where this will end? But you don't have a TV to go home to. Um, so just remember that. <laughs> um, now there, this is verse 1, now there, now there arose a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brothers. Now watch this. Um, there's all kinds of disheartening that's happened. The people are discouraged. They're maybe a little nervous. They're maybe a little afraid. The folks who are commuting to work in Jerusalem aren't allowed to commute anymore. They've got to live in the city. The people who live in the city and would normally be involved in work outside of the city don't get to go out of the city anymore. Got it? Like, they shut the doors and everybody has to stay in. Um, and, and this has caused some heartache and some difficulty on the folks who are there. And they respond by complaining. It was largely rural. There were a lot of farmers. That's not connected in any way. <laughs> um, now, <laughs> are any of y'all armed? <laughs> um, <laughs> but, all right, now here's something interesting here, by the way. The people and their wives, right? So the men and their wives complain. In Jewish society, first century Jewish society, women would not typically be outspoken publicly. Um, the situation is so bad that, like, the whole family's in on it, right? Everybody is angry. Everybody is um, stressed. And the wives have come out and are also complaining. Like, it, to a Jewish reader, this would emphasize how, how upset the folks were. Um, so we go on from there. This is uh, 2 and 3. Uh, For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. We're going to have pause there. What he means is, now if you look at, like this is probably toward the end of the building of the wall, right? And the wall building ended right after harvest season. So you got folks who are living in the city who don't have farms, but make their money by harvesting. And they say, hey, you know what? If you let us take our kids, we could go out and work and earn money. And then we could eat. And that's good. I like eating. Um, there was very little like, like social support then. So you weren't going to get fed by anyone. If you didn't have anything to eat, you didn't eat, right? Nobody fed you. Um, and so the, the, the itinerant workers begin saying, hey, let us go. Let us go do this. 
and, and you know, we'll, we'll do our job, and we'll be happy, and it'll be fine. Next complaint pops up in verse 3. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. Um, these are guys who are, like there's a famine going on. I mean, it sort of makes sense, right? They mentioned it. And they've started to borrow money against their property in order to get by. Right? And they're saying, hey, you know, help us out. Right? Do something. You know, take care of us. Um, we go on, and there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's taxes on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. Now, um, the king of Persia is collecting taxes on these farms, like property taxes, right? And the previous governors had been collecting taxes against the people, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but the taxes are really high, and what they had started doing was they went to their Jewish brothers, and they borrowed money. And, you know, you got an upper layer, like a nobility that is quite wealthy, and these wealthy people, all of a sudden, everybody owes them money. And... Um, it's so bad that they're selling their children into slavery. Um, we think of slavery a little different now, right? Like this isn't, like we had what was called chattel slavery in the United States, what, 200 years ago? Or, yeah, 200, 100? I'm bad at history, 100 years ago. Um, and that's where, like, people were property. In Jewish culture, what you would do is you would become an indentured servant for a certain number of years to pay off your debt. And every seventh year it was required by the law that you just, like, forgive all the debts and let them, let them go. And so, like, you would send your sons out. Like, if there wasn't enough money, you would send your sons out or your daughters out. And they would work for someone else for a few years. And in exchange for that, they would pay your debts. And that's how you kind of didn't go bankrupt. Right? That's how you didn't end up homeless. That's how you retained your property. Um, in some instances, when it was really bad, daughters would marry wealthy people. Right? They, would, they would basically sell their daughters as wives to pay off debt. And that's kind of what they're saying here. They're like, hey, you know what? We're selling our kids into slavery to pay our taxes. <laughs> this isn't okay. And to top it off, our daughters are marrying these jerks who are loaning us money. You know, can, you, can you do something here? Can you help us out? Um, the people are angry. Um, the people have, you know, like, like experienced a great deal of strain. And we'll find out here, like, um, a little more about that, like, as we get into the second half of this chapter. Um, but, but kind of the long story short is there are folks who are living high on the hog on other people's work, right? And it's their brothers and sisters. It's their family. If I loan my brother money and then I take his kids because he's not paying me back fast enough, I might be a bad brother. Everybody got it? Of course, I don't need any more kids. I wouldn't do that. I might give him mine. It's Anyway. Um, and Nehemiah's response, this is verse 6, I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. So Nehemiah looks at this situation and his response is he is livid. He is absolutely off the leash, furious about this. And this anger is appropriate. Can we all agree? Like if, if we're in a national process to shore up our walls and everybody is cheating everybody else, um, that's not okay. 
And actually, as we take it a step further, when you look at how God deals with folks, like the way that God describes himself, God describes himself as kind of a champion of widows and orphans, right? And a champion of the foreigner who's traveling through. Like, like, and what that boils down to is God is the God who protects the helpless. You know, he looks at the powerless and the helpless, and his job, God's character is to protect folks who can't protect themselves, Right? God is very serious about this. Um, and Nehemiah's anger reflects God's anger. Fair enough? He looks and he says, this is not right. This is unjust. And I am, I am angry. Um, we're going to talk a little more about this. Um, anger is a funny thing, right? Any of y'all ever get angry? Yep. Um, anger is powerful, isn't it? Like anger is built into us so that when we um, need to fight, we, we, have, we have that extra like supercharger that kicks in. And it's not like a Corvair supercharger. It's like a real supercharger. Um, it, 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 you know, pushes us to the point where we're able to do more and we're able to like, like act without fear. Um, and so his anger is there. Um, and in the next half of this, like first half of verse 7, I took counsel with myself. Now, I, I don't know about y'all, right? When I get angry, my first thing that happens is that my mouth opens, right? And about two and a half seconds later, my foot enters um, or, or my credibility leaves, right? Um, James points this out. He says, listen, um, the anger of man does not bring about the righteousness of God, right? Um, I... I Maybe a, a, a worse way of saying this, but I, I uh, we used to say in, in when I'd work with kids in the children's home, the angrier you get, the dumber you get. Isn't it true? I, I can remember in the early days of my marriage when I was arguing with my wife, and in my head I was thinking, I should shut up now. I, I should stop talking. My mouth should stop moving. I need to turn around and walk away right now. And for some reason, there's this part of me, it's, it's the sinful nature, as uh, my excuse, but there's this part of me that has to get the last word in before I walk away. And that has to, like, get that perfect line in. Anybody else do that? No. The more... <laughs> uh-huh. All right, any of the men who did this, like wives, do they... <laughs> I'll get somebody to tell on you. Uh, that's not fair. Um, watch this. Anger does not produce righteousness. Anger generally does not produce good decisions. Um, but Nehemiah responds by taking counsel with himself. With himself, he hits pause. He walks away and he considers. It is very much the case. Knowing Nehemiah's character, Nehemiah prays like twenty-six times in this book. Every time the guy encounters a significant problem. He stops and he talks to God. He's talking to the king about getting resources to go and build this wall. And the king asks him, well, what do you need? And he says, all right, God, (laughs) I'm going to answer him, but let's real quick have a conversation here, right? Because Nehemiah is a man of prayer, and that's a product of righteousness. It's a product of a habit and pattern of pursuing God. And so Nehemiah stops in his anger, and he looks to God, and he has a conversation, is my argument. text doesn't say it. But I think, I think it's a good thing to read out of this. Is that fair? Um, 
and he thinks carefully before he does anything. And part of the reason he does this is, um, I don't know, any of y'all notice that our culture, when we get angry at someone, we want them to be squished, right? We want them to go away. I mean, that's sort of almost like standard order, like a politician says the wrong thing, and they get hounded until they disappear. Isn't it true? Um, somebody, actually, I, that blew my mind a few years ago. There was a gal who made a very off-color joke as she boarded a plane to go to South Africa from, like, like L.A. And she posted it on her Twitter account, and before she landed, she had been fired and, like, had lost most of her livelihood and, and went from, like, 100 Twitter followers to, like, 40,000 because, you know, like, the anger that rose against her. And it was just, all right, let's, let's get her. How dare she type 140 characters that offend me? That is not righteous anger. Um, When we understand God's personality, um, God is all about glory, right? Glory is God's goodness being reflected in the world. It's God's goodness being recognized. And what glorifies God the most is demonstrating his mercy, right? Right? That's what we see in Jesus. Like the crowning moment of God's glory is Christ dying for our sins. The crowning moment of Jesus' glory is his death for us. Right? Because in that moment, every one of us who is not worthy of salvation, every one of us who is not good enough to, to be in God's presence, God like pours out his son's blood for that. Every one of us don't deserve it, can't earn it, Nothing. Like in that moment, God says, you know how much I have mercy and you know how much I love you? This is how much. And God is glorified by that. Honestly, when I think about the things that I say thank you to God for, more often than not, I'm thinking, God, that I'm not like held accountable for how awful I am. Right? Um, Every time I look at other folks and I think, man, you're bad. Right? I, 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 that's always a red light for me to stop and say, oh, but I'm probably worse. Man, I'm glad God forgives me. Because God is most glorified in this, like, mercy that he exhibits. God is most glorified by showing mercy to his people, you know, to his people, by, by redeeming them and bringing them back. Um, and so, like, like, our desire, oftentimes in our culture, is to destroy, Right? In, in, in movies, even when the bad guy is spared by the hero, the hero ends up killing him anyway, right? Oh, I'll spare you. And he starts to walk away and the bad guy goes to shoot him anyway. And then he, you know, because there's no real mercy in our culture. I mean, it, you cross us, you're in trouble. Um, but that's not what Nehemiah does. Fact of the matter is, Nehemiah needs the nobles to build the wall. If he, if he wipes these people out, and he probably could, he could... Actually, he could bring the Persian army in and kill them. I mean, he has that kind of authority. He could have the people rise up and kill them. I mean, he could just take their stuff. Nehemiah has that kind of authority. Um, But he stops and he considers, probably prays about it. Um, And what he does is, I and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them. Now, a great assembly... Watch this. The courts locally would have been run by the nobles. So if he had had a local court appearance for these things, what would have happened? 
The nobles wouldn't have ruled against themselves. That'd be crazy. And so he gathers up the entire like like nation. Um, he, he has a great assembly, and he stands before him, and he calls him out. Um, it is probably the case that he called him out beforehand. He approached him. He said, what you are doing is wrong. You are robbing your brothers. You are stealing from them. You are being unjust. This is not acceptable. He probably hit a big, solid brick wall at that point. And so he gathers everyone together, and he stands up, and he says, if I can find it again, um, and said to them, We, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. Um, This is an odd one because the Hebrew is really weird. And there's all kinds of argument about what he's saying exactly. It's possible he's talking about the people being sent off into into captivity. He says, hey guys, we just got back from captivity. Why are you making each other captives again? It's also possible that there was an event that's not recorded where like foreign nations came in and basically took sons and daughters as slaves and they got bought back and brought home. And now they're being sold as slaves again. Um, It's not clear which it is, but like the long and short of it is he's saying, hey, we just freed all our family and you people are doing this. What the heck? What are you doing? Um, And in front of everyone, he calls them out. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said to them, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, um, our enemies? So they don't respond. In that culture, if you stood silent, it means you had nothing to say, right? I mean, it's not really the case for us. If I got nothing to say, I might talk. Um, I watched uh, or I listened to um, an audio book on deception and speech patterns and deception. And the, the guys who did it, like, wrote the book. They analyzed speech patterns. And they had a politician who had been caught having an affair and caught very red-handed. And they showed, like, they, they went through the line-by-line line for his press conference. And he kept talking. But, like, he, he, he was obvious. I mean, like, the more he talked, the more obvious he was that he was lying, Right. And the reporters are asking him, like, well, why don't you just answer our question? I'm not here to answer that question. And he tried to keep talking. But why don't you just answer the question? Nope, I'm not here to answer that question. He kept talking. In the Jewish culture, if they were caught red-handed, not a word to say. They would sit silent. And we see it a few times. Actually, um, we see it in Jesus. When Jesus stood silent before his accusers, culturally, he offered no defense and he just accepted guilt. Um, so these guys, they don't say anything because they got nothing to say. They've basically been pronounced guilty. Um, and he says to them, this is unjust. What you are doing is wicked. Shouldn't you be afraid of God rather than enslaving his people? Shouldn't you be looking to God first and deciding what's right and wrong based on what God has in store, what God has planned? Everybody with me? Um, that is more important than anything else. Um, and I'm going to stop and point out in relation to anger... It is very often the case that when I get angry, and some of y'all might be this way, when I get angry, it has very little to do with what God considers right, wrong, just, good, or anything. It is about what I want, or what I consider acceptable, or what I prefer the world to look like. Because, honestly, what is anger except response to the fact that your will has been blocked? And, like, as humans, man, we're all about our will, right? 
Um, so he says, listen, um, let me see if I can find my spot again. I'm sorry. It's really hard without slides. Um, so I said to the, uh, so I said to them, uh, our enemies, moreover, I said to my, I, I and my brothers and my servants are lending money and grain. Let us uh, abandon this exacting of interest. So now, um, what he says is, listen, I, I've been, I've been loaning money and grain. I've been doing this. He doesn't say that he's taking slaves. He doesn't say that he's necessarily like doing usury, right? He's saying, I've been doing it too. Why does he say that? I suspect the reason he says it is he makes it very, very easy for them to do the right thing. Isn't it true? Because like when the guy who's accusing you says, hey, I'm just as bad as you are. It's really easy to say, you know what, you're right, I'll go with you. If he had said, you guys are horrible, and you need to cut it out now, it might have been harder for him. Nehemiah's objective at this point is restoring them. His objective is building the wall. His objective is getting the job that God has given him done and restoring these people so that they're serving God properly and they're glorifying him. Um, He goes on, he says, And they said, We will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priest and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out my, the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from, the labor, and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, because they were suddenly freed of a great deal of debt. Um, and praised the Lord and said to the people, and, and excuse me, and the people did as they had promised. Um, they respond, we'll back off. We'll, we'll start doing the right thing. And Nehemiah responds by saying, okay, well, let's get the priests in here and let's swear. And it must have been some sort of custom at the time. It's not familiar to any of the scholars today, but the assumption is that there was some sort of like thing that they picked up while they were in captivity that they did for a while where they had like a swearing service where the priests were involved and basically it's you know hey priests are here they're standing in god's place and they're saying if if you you know if you defy this agreement this is what's going to happen and nehemiah says you're going to be like this right and pulled his pockets out because they didn't have pockets pockets weren't invented until about 100 years ago um and he says it'll be like empty pockets everyone you will be gone God will wipe you out. He will wash you from the face of the earth um, if you break this promise. Um, This is the best possible outcome. It is possible, because Nehemiah was the governor, that he could act as judge over the nation. And so there was actually the possibility Nehemiah could, like, do anything. I mean, he really could do anything he wanted. He was acting on his authority as judge. He could have had them all executed. Could have. Would have been a much harder road for him ahead, but he could have. Um, He goes on. Moreover, we're going to go through this section really quick, and we're going to kind of talk about some application. Moreover, from that time, um, from the time that I was appointed to be governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year, he was governor for 12 years, um, of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor, meaning they had the right to go out and collect food from the people to eat. He didn't take that. He could have collected taxes to uphold his house, but he didn't. 
Um, he goes on. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily rations, 40 shekels of silver. Um, even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also perse- persevered in the work on the wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered, for their, gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now, what we prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six sheep and birds and every 10 days, all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on the people. Remember, for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. Now, Watch this. He's required to hold court. Every governor before had done that. And what they did was they sent their servants out and the servants collected taxes and the servants took a little extra, right? Because you got to get paid too. And they, the people were paying for a great deal of abundance and a great deal of comfort and a great deal of food and a great deal of everything. And these guys were enjoying life, but nobody else was. They were lining their pockets and they were enjoying it. Um, and Nehemiah came in and never collected it. Um, he never accepted any of this. And he did it because of God's people. But not really because of God's people as much because of God. He looked and he said, I will act righteously. I will do the job in front of me. I will accomplish my set of objectives. And I will do it for God's sake. Um, what do we do with all of this? Because most of us are not building walls. Although some of you might be building houses and putting new roofs on shops and stuff like that this week. Um, But, like, this is a little distant from us, right? And most of us don't collect grain from the neighbors, I think. I mean, it's not legal, is it? I mean, you can't really, like, just go out and get it. Um, What are we supposed to do with it? Um, First and foremost, I think, as believers, we're called to be righteous, and we're called to be just. In our treating of other people and our acting towards other folks, we are required, like our expectation, what God puts on us, and actually the New Testament repeats it, um, that we're supposed to be like imitators of Christ, right? Um, When we deal with the world, if they look at us and if what they're seeing is not who Jesus is, um, we're, we're sort of falling short. So our job is to be like Christ to the folks that we encounter, to serve them, to treat them justly, to take care of the poor, to defend like folks who can't defend themselves. That is our job. Um, It is not a small job, right? The thing that Nehemiah gets angry about, by the way, he has a neighboring nations like all around him threatening to kill him. And he's got the neighboring nations making fun of their work. And he goes to God and prays, but he never mentions being angry. Isn't that funny? But he looks at his brothers, and his brothers aren't doing the work, aren't being like, like the way God did, you know, had expected them to be. And because he's not, he becomes angry. And so he looks inwardly, and he calls his brothers to account, and he makes it as easy as possible for them to repent and come back. He makes it as easy as possible to stand in line and do what's expected of them. Um, what do we do with anger? Is anger wicked? No. Everybody got that? It is okay to be angry. The Bible never says that anger is evil, ever. Um, doesn't happen. Um, however, we can be evil when we are angry. Um, Ephesians 4 um, gives us this line like where, where um, 
Actually, James tells us the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Um, Ephesians 4 tells us, um, don't let the sun go down on your anger, and your anger do not sin, right? Um, how do we not sin in anger? Well, first off, godly anger is, like, is godlike, right? Like it reflects God's character. We get anger over justice. We get angry over um, people oppressing the poor and the, and the helpless. We get angry over, um, over mistreatment of God's people, right? These are the things we get angry about. It is acceptable to be angry about those things. It is good to be angry about those things. Got it? Um, take it a step further. It is a legal anger. Um, whenever God is angry, he is angry about violation of his law and his standard of holiness and character, right? So what's that joke? Like when people tell you to respond the way Jesus responds, remember that picking up a whip and turning over tables is always an option? It is. It is. <laughs> Because there are times that Jesus gets mad, and he gets mad over folks desecrating God's temple, right? And he gets angry at other Jews. Um, He doesn't get angry at the Romans for being the Romans. He gets angry at his brothers and sisters for taking advantage of each other, standing in the way of approaching God on their own behalf. Um, Because Jesus, like, like, as he redeems us, he redeems us to grow in holiness. Folks who stand in the way of our brothers and sisters growing in holiness are people who stand in the way of that. That's a problem. Um, we see one other time where Jesus gets angry, where he has a man who comes in, he's got a crippled hand, and the Pharisees are there, and they're like, oh, you're not going to heal him on the Sabbath, are you? That's sinful. <laughs> You you can't do that. That's work. And Jesus says, well, is it okay to do good or evil on the Sabbath? What am I supposed to do here? And they don't answer him because they know they're wrong. And Jesus gets angry and he turns around and heals the man, right? Um, What we see in that is, first off, he's angry at a legal violation, like at their failure to reflect God's character. Um, And then that anger produces something in the world that is worth having, right? Um, That anger motivates him not to destroy, not to wreck, not to punch, not to bite, not to hit, not to say nasty words, and motivates him to heal. Um, And as brothers and sisters in Christ, I talked to a lot of folks who were angry last week, right? Anybody spent time being angry in the last few weeks? It's all right. Our response is to produce holiness. Our response is, and actually Nehemiah says it, right? Go and do your job. Our job is share the gospel, make disciples, reflect God's character, um, be public and open about what you believe. That's good. But do it in a reflection of God's character, right? Um, And take a step further. God does not take pleasure in man's destruction, right? If you find yourself in a spot where you're gleeful about somebody getting crushed, that is not okay. Um. It's true, um, because there is a there is a vengeful anger that's all about feeding our own desire. It's all about feeding our flesh. If you look at folks and you say, "I can't wait until God gets you," you got a problem because it ain't God's anger. God desires repentance. God desires restoration. God is glorified um, when like lost folks come back to Him. There's that Jesus said there is more rejoicing in heaven over a single sinner who repents, right? And a thousand people who don't need to. That was the New Eric translation. It's not published yet. But it is trademarked, so, you know, 
<laughs> um, God's anger is slowly provoked, right? So, like, when I, when I lose my temper quick with my wife, that's probably not a sign of righteous anger. Everybody with me? Like, it is slow to respond. It is slow to lash out. It's slow to be there. God is very forgiving, and we're called to be in the same spot. We're called to be loving and forgiving and respond, like, like in this holy way. Because our anger needs to reflect God's anger in the same way that our love needs to reflect the love of Jesus, in the same way that our, like, everything. I mean, we become Jesus in this world. Um, And God's anger is under control, right? God makes decisions about when to use his anger. If your anger has got you in a place, if it brings you to a spot where you are no longer able to do the right thing, or you're no longer able to control it, that is a problem, right? Um. Proverbs 26, oh, I read this, and I had to read it two or three times, where it talks about, do not engage a fool in his folly, but correct a fool in his folly. And so it's like the same sentence twice. And the idea is, if somebody's being dumb, don't engage them in how they're being dumb, right? It is, it is silly to, like, play somebody's dumb game, right? Um, it is silly to look at somebody who's being, being, like, evil and engage them in an evil way. I think it was Nietzsche who is an atheist. I mean, but Nietzsche said, you know, in slaying dragons, don't become them. Um, and I watch folks who engage people in the world, and they engage them in a way that is about like playing the same game they play, right? Um, I watch folks argue about all kinds of things and saying this is sinful and that's sinful, and you should do this and you shouldn't do that. If a person who you're arguing with doesn't know Jesus. You shouldn't expect them to act like they do. If you get a worldly, sinful person and get them to be, like, good without knowing Jesus, you have managed to, like, paint a tomb. You ain't done nothing else. And so, like, when we engage folks, we engage them to draw them to Christ, right? We don't let them ignore their sin. We don't ignore it. But we engage preaching the gospel. We engage pointing people to God. Um, That's our job. And it is our job. It's our job to help people mature in their faith, and it's our job to preach the gospel and to point folks to repentance in Jesus. That is our job. Um, As rain falls and we keep... I mean, how many of y'all... I said I wasn't going to make a joke about it. Anybody look for an ark yesterday? (laughs) Where is it at? (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's God, right? Um, As we watch the world become something different and descend into... Into sin. I mean, the world's going to do it, right? And it's done it for years and years and years because the world has fallen. And it's been doing it since Eve took a bite of the apple. Sin has reigned and sin has spread and sin has gotten worse. And guess what? Next month we're going to find ways to be even more sinful. And next year it'll be even worse. And the year after that it'll be even worse. And I would be a part of that, doing the same thing and cheering them on if God did not have mercy on me, right? And I'm going to tell you the same is true of all of you. Um... Our job is to be like Jesus and to grow to be more like Jesus. Not to desire God's destruction of folks, but to point them to repentance and new life in Christ. Um, I said it last week. I'm going to say it again this week. Pray and go out and do your job, right? Um, As anger fills you, as you carry it with you, um, respond like Jesus. Um, Maybe respond like Nehemiah. That's a little easier. Although you can't call an assembly of the whole nation. That's hard. Um... Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, 
touch our hearts and our souls and our minds and help us to be like you. Help us to grow more and more in our holiness. Help us to reflect your heart when we're angry. Help us to reflect your, your character when we deal with other folks. If we're unjust in our dealings, Lord God, I pray that you would put it in front of us so that we would know that we're unjust, especially as we deal with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us lift each other up as family. Help us to carry each other to you, Lord. Um, forgiving as often as possible. Um, slow to anger. Um, and reflecting your, your love, your heart. In Jesus' name, amen.